is episode 68, and today I wanted to talk about early intervention and using a coaching model approach. Before we get into that, I hope you enjoyed the flashback episode as a review on some of the overall sensory processing concepts, and I wanted to say thank you again for supporting me this past year and helping me keep the show going. If you like the show and the work that I'm doing here, you can continue to support me simply by using the Amazon links on my website before you make your next purchase through Amazon. It doesn't cost you any more than it usually does to shop there, and it's an easy way to support the show in the process. Also, get on Instagram and follow the Milestones podcast, and send me a message or just comment on my next post. I love getting comments and feedback that way, too. The inspiration for today's show comes from some real-life examples that I have noticed and experienced in working in early intervention. When I say early intervention, I'm talking about programs that work with children who have special needs or who are at risk for having developmental or physical delays from ages birth to three. Many states have early intervention programs already set up, and they are often funded by both state and federal money. Some state programs have the ability to bill Medicaid and some private insurances as well. We are very lucky in the state of Missouri because the entire state is under one program for early early intervention. This means that no matter where you live in the state, you could receive therapy services through the Missouri First Steps program if your child qualifies. Other states are not this cohesive. For example, in Kansas, the early intervention programs are split up mostly by county or possibly by region in the more rural areas. Each program in Kansas has its own way of doing things. So if you move from one side of Kansas to the other side, you will have to switch to the program in that specific area instead. For parents, this may not be a very big deal, because either way you will continue to receive services for your child as long as they qualify. One of the things that I like about the whole state being run under the same program is that if a child moves to my area from another place in Missouri and they have already been receiving services through our program, the transition is very simple to our team. We have an internet-based program where we maintain our notes and a basic file is established for each child on this program. So we were able to see the goals the family has been working on with the previous therapist and their notes and anything else that might be helpful in coordinating the transition so they don't necessarily have to start from scratch with therapy. The whole system fits very well with the teaming model approach that we also use in the state. I know there are other states that also use this approach. We switched over to this model many years ago in Missouri. And I will say it was met with some resistance from a lot of the therapists in the beginning. Some people even left the program and found other jobs because they were afraid of what the changes would mean. This is my opinion, of course, but I do think the change was a positive one, not only for the providers, but also for the families more importantly. Before the switch, let me explain. Many times I would be working with the family and not even know they were also working with any other providers like maybe a physical therapist or a speech language pathologist. If I did know they were working with those other providers, 
I would rarely, if ever, know what they were working on. If the family was able to figure it out enough to explain what they thought the other therapist was doing, I could sometimes guess what their plan might be. I remember thinking at the time that I wondered if the other therapist even knows that I'm working with this child and is the family able to tell them what I'm doing with them. This was always concerning and frustrating for me because we really didn't have an easy way to communicate with each other. The program was set up more like a medical model approach where the therapist would come in and do therapy with their child, then leave and come back again next week to help them do it again. We would try and suggest things for the parents sometimes, but they usually didn't see the point and just waited for us to come back again to help their child. Of course, that wasn't 100% of the time, but that was generally the way things went. Looking back, it really was not a good setup at all, as far as making actual progress and helping the family and the child in the best ways. I don't want to get too much farther into that, but I think it's worth mentioning because the program we we use now is so different, and I can see how much better it is for everyone involved. We now use a coaching model, which is where a team of providers, usually being a service coordinator, who is the person that coordinates meetings and all the paperwork for each family, and then we have the OT, PT, speech, and special instructors, which... Our special instructors are generally people that have um, a teaching background. There are many teams in the state of Missouri. So the teams are divided up in different sections of the state and different areas of the cities. And the areas are split to help keep the drive time lower between visits. It also helps when we schedule our co-visits with each other because it's easier to get to the same houses when we're already pretty close by working with other families in the same area. So, I wanted to give just a little background to set the stage for the mentality of providers in the coaching model versus the medical model. There was a transition time for all of us who were working under the first model and continued on with the program as it switched over. The main difference that I noticed right away was that the initial service coordinator that meets with families before we do any evaluations or any services start that um, go in and explain the program to the parents. They were now describing the program in a way that lets parents know that we are not here to do therapy with their child. We are here to help educate the parents and help them find ways to help their own children. We are here to guide them and provide insights based on our experiences and knowledge in child development. The parents are expected to be involved in the process and not in some other room posting pictures on social media or painting their nails or watching TV. The therapists are supported in this now because it is laid out in the first meeting that they have with someone from our program, or at least it's supposed to be, and I do think that it's happening. The expectations we have of parents is known now, and this is the way it should be. It's not a punishment or a negative thing. We want to help you figure out how to help your own child. This concept is still sometimes forgotten or lost by providers, though. But we need to slow down and remember that we are here for the family. We are not coming to their home so we can take the child off somewhere and work with them on our own. Or even work with them in the same room as the parent, but leaving the parent out of the equation. It is our nature to want to see progress. And we know what things to try and 
what will usually work to encourage kids to learn new concepts and gain new developmental skills. That's why we're around. But early intervention providers, we have to be patient. Even though we know what progress can happen when we start working on things in a certain way, the parents don't. They don't always. They probably won't see the end result or potential like we do until it actually starts to happen because we've been through it before and we we know what to expect. The best way to start making changes and seeing progress is by practice. The child needs to practice, 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 repetition. Do we get repetition in a 60-minute session one time a week? The answer is no. If you went to the gym to work out for 60 minutes one time a week, would you be in shape after one month? The answer again is no. It takes daily or several times per week, trips to the gym or outside running or whatever it is to start seeing results of working out and starting to get in shape. This is how we can think of development with kids. In fact, development for all kids works this way. Repetition and practice. Kids that have special needs or who are at risk for having some type of developmental or motor delay may need even more repetition or the same amount of repetition but for a longer amount of time than other kids. Of course, I'm not talking about putting kids through some type of workout regimen. That was just an example to get you thinking about how they need to practice things more frequently than just when the therapists are there. This is why we can't get impatient. We, the therapists, can't just come in and start doing therapy with the child. We have to take the time to educate the family and figure out how to help them help their child. That way, the rest of the week, they can practice this with their own child and see if the activities or strategies are working. And if not, we can help them next week make some adjustments and figure out what to try next or how to make some changes in what they're already doing, but continue working toward the same goals. In the long run, this is probably going to be their best bet the way they will continue to make progress through their developmental milestones and up into their adult years, potentially. Let me give you some examples of things that have come up over the years to give you a better idea of what I'm talking about with this. Let's say the parents are concerned about their child not making eye contact with them or with anyone else. So the therapist listens to their concern and has observed that the child does not make eye contact with them either. So the therapist gets down on the floor with the child and pulls out one of those wooden puzzles with the inset pieces. Because they know that this child likes to do puzzles, the parent is watching the therapist hold up one piece at a time, right next to their own face, and wait for the child to reach for it or react in some way before they give it to them to put in. This continues through the entire puzzle and possibly moves into one or two other similar type of games. The therapist might say something before leaving to the parent about how they can hold things up by their face and try to get their child to look in that direction before giving it to them and continue on with this. This might be a familiar scenario for you guys listening, either as a therapist or as a parent who has a child that has therapists coming to their home. It's not a horrible scenario, but it's also not the way that the coaching model is meant to work. A better way to approach the situation of working on eye contact would be for the therapist to give some suggestions based on their experience or knowledge of the subject. 
then model this for the parents, either with their child or just with the parents at first playing the role of the child, or have the parents go ahead and try while the therapist talks them through the process and models for them if necessary. Doesn't this make more sense than a therapist working on repetition with someone else's child for a one-hour session than leaving without really teaching the family anything? If the therapist is actually teaching the child anything in this case, it's how to start making eye contact with the therapist. This might make the therapist feel good about the work they're doing and the progress the child is making. However, this doesn't necessarily mean the child will do the same thing with their parents. It may not generalize. And if their difficulty is with eye contact, which is a social skill, they likely won't generalize and do the same thing with their parents or other people. Isn't the parents concerned that their child won't make eye contact with them? In all reality, it really doesn't matter if the child learns to start making eye contact with their therapist, who is there for maybe one hour a week. The priority is to build that social connection between the child and their parents. The family can watch therapists doing things all day long, but unless we hand over the information and the process to the parents, they may not have the confidence to try it themselves, or they may just not really see the point or understand exactly what they are trying to achieve by doing these things. Many times therapists assume that the parents just get it. And I know there are some parents out there that do just get it. But we can't assume that is the case. We need to communicate with the families and educate them in ways that they can understand. Many times it is helpful for us as a therapist to do activities directly with kids. But the idea with this is to model for the parents and educate them during the process. Explain what you're doing, what you're looking for, and why you're doing these things. Then it is even more important to have the parent then practice or try what you just modeled for them with their own child. For one reason or another, sometimes parents are nervous or self-conscious or worried they will do things quote-unquote wrong, and they might avoid trying the things you recommend with their child because of these fears. This is what we are used to, so we don't think twice about trying different things with kids until we figure out what works best for them. But parents don't always do this, so it can be helpful for us to have them do the activity with their child while we are there with them to help guide them through it. Give suggestions during the activity based on what we observe and make the changes that are appropriate during that same time. They are much more likely to try this again on their own the next day or during the week between your visits if they practice it with you there first. I think this is also helpful to reduce the number of times that we might hear parents say, Oh, I tried that and it didn't work. If they try it with you first and you can help point out to them the positive aspects of the activity and the, the little things that we're looking for, then it's harder for them to say it didn't work when you aren't around to see it happen. Because they know that you've seen the activity and you know that it can or does work with them, even though sometimes the activity might be hard for either the child or the parents or both, they will hopefully be willing to continue working on it until it becomes easier. Of course, there are many parents out there that will try things with their kids at the slightest dimension of activities, and they may even come up with their own activities to add on to the ones that you suggest. 
This is great when that happens, and I really love to see that. Another thing for us to consider is that we are all human, and we are all different. This also means that we all learn in different ways. So, for one parent, we might be able to explain vestibular sensory processing in just a few sentences, and they understand it enough to feel like they get it. While another parent, it seems like no matter how many times you say things and try to explain it using different words and examples, they still keep saying they just don't understand. Then we need to stop for a second and think about other ways to get the information to them. Maybe you're trying to give too much all at once by talking about vestibular and tactile and proprioceptive all in the same session. This parent might benefit from only focusing on one specific area the one that they seem to have the most concerns with, and maybe only giving one or two specific examples of what you mean with that one area. Or maybe you need to write those examples down for the parent or something explaining what you're talking about on paper. Sometimes people just learn better from visually seeing the information rather than hearing it and trying to process it that way. Also, with the information written down for them, specific to their child, and I'm still talking about only the one or two examples, then they have the opportunity to refer back to that during the rest of the week and let the information sink in even more. It can be hard sometimes because we want to give them all the information we can to help them understand what's going on, but that isn't always the best strategy and not always the most effective for actually helping the family and the child in the long run. If you are a parent, a grandparent, a foster parent, or any other type of caregiver for a child who is receiving early intervention services, you need to remember that you are that child's advocate. So make sure you are asking your providers to give you suggestions for activities or strategies that you can work on with your own child the rest of the week or two weeks or whatever the timeline is before they come back and check in again. Even if your state doesn't use a teaming or coaching model, that doesn't matter. You can let them know that you want the tools to be able to help your own child because you understand that you are the one living with them and you are the one that has the most opportunities to practice things with them, play with them, and encourage them. You are the parent. You know your child better than anyone else. Even if you don't know as much about development as the therapists do, you know your child which is important for everyone to remember. I'm going to end there for today, but I wanted to thank you for listening and have a great day.